This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. We've been going through the book of John, the gospel of John, verse by verse, and I love that we get to do this. About a year ago, we started with the first seven chapters of John. We took a little break, and then we began right where we left off. We picked up right where we left off with the next seven chapters, and then by the grace of God, we'll be able to handle the next seven next year, which will be great. So we're going to begin today in verse 30. Verse 30, okay? So last week, we we read verse 29, and here's what it says. As Jesus was saying these things, many believed in him. I want you to underline many or swipe that in your Bibles or highlight that many believed in him. Okay. So Jesus has been teaching in the temple. He has been doing signs and wonders out in the communities and word is beginning to spread about this rabbi, this Messiah figure, this person named Jesus of Nazareth. And people are starting to catch on to the fact that maybe there's more to Jesus than meets the eye. And Jesus has been going into the temple. He just was there during the festival, the Jewish festival of Sukkot. And now he's teaching them again. And he's just told them that he was the light of the world. Last week, we talked about Jesus being the light of the world. And he proceeds to tell them that it is the Father, the Heavenly Father, who has given him all of his authority. Say all authority. All authority to teach. And the text tells us that as he was teaching, as he was saying these things to the people, many believed. So at this point in the story, many people are starting to put their faith in Jesus. They're beginning to believe that he actually is the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. But I want you guys to catch this. Jesus isn't just content for them to remain as believers because he wants to make disciples. And there's a difference between being a believer and being a disciple. And we see it highlighted in the very next verse. Go with me to verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, who heard his word, this is what he says to them. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Why does Jesus say the word if? The reason Jesus says if is because it's a conditional statement. It's conditional on them demonstrating something more than just their belief. He says this, if you abide, the word abide here means to remain in, to live with, to stay devoted to. If you are devoted to me, Jesus is essentially saying, if you remain in my word and in my teachings, if you're devoted to this, then and only then are you truly my disciples. The word disciple here is the word learner or apprentice or student. Uh, Disciple was a devoted apprentice of another. The devoted apprentice essentially mirrors their master by doing what their master does. They follow their master's example. They follow the voice and promptings of their master. They follow their lead. And most of all, they follow his word. Jesus says, if you abide, if you remain in my word, in my teachings, in my way, then you are truly my disciples. Friends, that's the call from Jesus to believers at this point in the story. And it's also the call of Jesus 
to every one of us today. So why is Jesus making a big point out of this? You might be wondering at this point. Like, Jesus, don't you want people to follow you? Don't you want people to believe? Yes. But at this point, Jesus begins to differentiate between those that are there just to listen and perhaps believe and those that will actually come and become devoted followers and apprentices. Are you with me today? See, the problem is, is that many of us, and especially in the church today, would equate success with crowds and believers. And we would say, wow, there's a lot of people here. There's a lot of listeners. There's a lot of believers. Wow, isn't this great? And Jesus goes, not so fast. I'm after something a little more specific. Jesus, at this point, begins to separate within the crowd fans from followers, fans from followers. And that's the question I want to ask some of you today. Are you a fan of Jesus or are you actually a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus? The truth is there's a big difference between the two. Let me point this out for us. Fans of Jesus admire his teachings. There's a lot of people I know from all different faith backgrounds, worldviews, and ideologies that admire the teachings of Jesus. They can see him as CEO. They can see him as rabbi. They can see him as prophet. They can see him as teacher. There's a lot of people that admire him and his teachings, but followers of Jesus actually practice them. Followers of Jesus actually pray for those who persecute them, who actually bless their enemies, who actually love those that are different from them. Come on, somebody. Followers of Jesus actually put into practice his teachings. Fans of Jesus observe him from a distance. They're, they're okay to stay in the crowd. Like, I'm good with Jesus over there, and I'm here, and I'm happy to listen and admire what he's doing, but I'm going to stay over here. But followers of Jesus are willing to surrender to him, to worship him up close, like we've been doing here this morning. Fans of Jesus hold on to their lives. Followers of Jesus willingly give them up. Give them up. Jesus said, if you want to save your life, you must lose it. And anybody that loses their life for my sake is blessed. They will find it, right? So the thing that we're looking for can only be found when we become followers of Jesus. And then lastly, fans of Jesus, and this one might rouse some of your feathers, so buckle your seatbelts. Fans of Jesus are okay with Jesus being their savior. But followers of Jesus welcome him as Lord. What do I mean by that? Well, for many of us, we go to Jesus as Savior. We're happy with the fact that he took all of our sins on that cross and died in our place. Praise God. But how many of us are comfortable welcoming him into our life where he gets to be Lord and manager and director over the affairs of our day? I'm talking about coming into your house and moving your furniture around without your permission. How many of us are okay with him dictating to us what we do with our money? Jesus says, where your money is there, your heart will be also. You can only serve one of two masters. It's going to be God or it's going to be mammon. It's going to be God or it's going to be money. It's going to be God or it's going to be wealth. What master will you serve? In other words, who will you follow? Followers of Jesus, welcome him as Lord. Jesus, come and be the Savior. Yes, save me from my sins. We want that. We need that. There's no life without that. But also come and be the Lord of my life. Come tell me how to live this thing called life. You guys, God wants you to be more than just a fan. He wants you to be a follower because Jesus alone is the truth. Listen to what verse 32 says. Verse 32. 
If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The title of my message today is simply this, Jesus the chain breaker. Jesus the chain breaker. I believe that Jesus came to this earth to break some chains, to set some folk free. Am I talking to anybody that's been set free by Jesus today? Jesus is the chain-breaking God. He's the one that wants you to walk in freedom. My big idea, for those of you that are taking notes today, is simply this. Jesus wants you to know freedom. Jesus wants you to know his truth because his truth is the only truth that'll set you free. Now, we live in a culture in a day and age right now where it's all about your truth and my truth and their truth and his truth, and right? But Jesus makes a radical claim here. Jesus says, guys, I am the truth. In fact, he says, I'm the way, and I'm the truth, and I'm the life. There is no other way to the Father except through me. Now, you can come to Jesus all different kinds of ways, broken, disheveled, messed up, confused, frustrated, lost, but there's only one way to the Father, and that's through him, because he is the way, and he is the truth. And as the truth, he wants us to know real freedom, real freedom. So today we're talking about this big idea of freedom. The question might be this, how do I know if I'm free? How do you know if you're free? Is it because you make a whole lot of money and you've got financial freedom to do whatever you want? Is it because no one gets to tell you what to do or how to live your life? Is it because no one tells you who to vote for or where to live or because you live in this great free nation called the United States of America? How do you know if you're free? When I think about the two primary reasons that scripture gives us for the coming of Jesus, both involve this issue of freedom. And let's look at them. Number one, let's put it up there. Let's put it up there. Jesus came to seek and to rescue the lost. We see that in Luke 19, verse 10. Why does Jesus come to seek and rescue and save the lost? Because he's a rescuer. And number two, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil which means that he's also a destroyer. Now, regarding this first claim of Jesus being a rescuer, we know that Jesus came to rescue us from our spiritual slavery. Even a child who comes into this world has a selfish nature, in case you haven't figured it out, I remember my wife and I first had our first uh, child, the words mine came very quickly and very early into their vocabulary, mine. Ours, right? We become very possessive. Why do we do this? Because we have sinful natures, come on, that need liberation, that need a rescuer to come in and to save us from, to rescue us from. The scriptures proclaim it this way. We were actually bound as slaves to sin. It uses this strong language of slavery to sin. And it goes on to say that we were in our slavery condemned to die in our chains or in our darkness. But, and this is a very big but, then a light shined in that darkness. Jesus, the Christ, the light of the world shows up. And what does he do? He begins to break those chains. He begins to liberate. He begins to set us free from our bondage to sin, death, and the devil. And we're going to get into that in just a moment. Jesus comes as a rescuer. This is one of his favorite roles in our life because he loves smashing chains that hold you back. He loves coming in to liberate you because he's a chain-breaking God. I believe 
that all throughout this book, we see evidence of this being the case. Joseph, a young man at 17, sold into slavery by his own family. Some of you have had it bad, but you ain't had it that bad. Sold into slavery, thrown into a pit, sold off to Egypt, ends up in physical chains, in bondage to Potiphar, then thrown into a dungeon. He's in more slavery, he's in more chains. And what does God do? God liberates him from the prison to the palace. What about Israel? Israel knew it. How many hundreds of years did they spend in bondage, in slavery? Four to 500 years at least. But God liberated them. How about Daniel? Daniel thrown into a lion's den. You guys remember that story? And God shut the mouth of every lion and liberated him from that pit. And we as the people know this reality too, because we who were once in darkness have been liberated from our slavery to sin and our slavery to death and our slavery to the devil. I want you to listen to the way that Romans chapter six says it, verse 17 through 18. We'll put it up there. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, he's talking to the church here. He's talking to each and every one of us who've been radically set free. You who were once slaves of sin, past tense, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Praise be to God in Christ Jesus, you guys. We have been set free, but not just free to do as we please, not free to wander, not free to roam, not free to become whatever we want to become. No, free to become what Romans 6 verse 18 here calls slaves of righteousness. Verse 22 continues, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end result, eternal life. Can I tell you something? There is a purpose for which God has freed you. Many people will rightly point out to you that you've been set free from something, but I'm here to tell you today, you've also been set free for something, for a purpose and a reason, and that is to be slaves to God, servants of righteousness. Come on, your life is no longer your own. Your life now belongs to him. And this offends our American ears. It offends our radical idealism and our consumeristic tendencies that tell us that life is all about me. It's not about us. It's about him. Jesus didn't set you free to just wander around like a chicken with your head cut off. He set you free to belong to him to what Romans here calls becoming a slave of righteousness, a slave of God. Romans 6 tells us that the invitation to freedom is much bigger than what we typically interpret freedom as here in the West. And I think for many of us, we're thankful, right? Rightfully so for the freedoms and the liberties that we have. I think about our Christian brothers and sisters in Ukraine right now that are in hiding because they're not sure if a bomb is gonna come bursting through their door. I think about those in Iran right now, all the women that are protesting in the streets, many of which who are being captured and hauled off to be tortured, raped, and beaten. And I'm thankful for for the great freedoms that we have here in this nation, aren't you? But can I tell you something? There is a bigger reality of freedom that Christ invites every one of us to. And it's not bound by getting the car, the wife, and the white picket fence. It's not bound by our flag. It's not bound by our political affiliations. It's not bound by what we do with our debit cards or our Apple Pay. Come on, it's bigger than that. 
It's bigger than that. Now, to the outsider, to somebody that's in the crowd, a fan, looking at this from the outside, this might not sound like good news. This might not sound, it might even feel like bad news. Like, really? I don't get to live life according to my own terms? Not in Christ, you don't. Not in Jesus, you don't. But to the forgiven? Come on, church, to the freed, to those who've been liberated from their shackles of sin and death, to them, their life is no longer their own, but Christ. And this is the reality, the only reality that will set you free. Jesus is the truth that sets you free, free to belong to him. John 8, verse 34 continues, and Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a what? Slave to sin. Jesus, don't you know that slavery is offensive? Don't you know that we don't like to use that word? Well, here's what he says. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains, meaning the slave is not an heir to the promises of God because he's a slave. He's a servant. But the son remains forever. He's speaking of himself, by the way. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. You guys, if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. Why we are a church that's so radically passionate about Jesus, why we sing about Jesus, why we preach about Jesus, why we make it all about Jesus is because Jesus is the only one that can set you free. He's the only one that can help you find the meaning that you're searching for and give life and definition to the purpose for which you have been created in Christ anew to do good works that were prepared in advance for you to do in him. And I'm not here to give you a self-help message today. I'm not here to tell you three steps to a better you. I'm here to tell you today where life can be found, where truth can be found, and it can only be found in a relationship with the Son, with Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Anointed One. You guys, he's the chain breaker. He's a rescuer of our souls. He's a liberator of us and our purpose and our dreams and the things that we were created for in the first place. Some people think, very wrongfully that the minute you start following Jesus, that life's just going to be joyless and a, a drudgery of just, you know, getting through the muck and the mire of, no, I'm telling you, following Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to me. It's the best thing that ever happened to some of you. And that is our testimony from death to life because grace has rewrote our story, just like we were singing about this morning. And I've looked and I've searched. Maybe some of you have too. You guys, I've searched, I, I've, done, I've done hours and hours and hours of research looking at all the various perspectives and, and worldviews and, and religions, but can I tell you something? There's only one person that brings real freedom, and that's Jesus today. He's a rescuer, but he's also, to my second point today, he's a destroyer. Some of you are like, whoa, that's a little intense, Pastor Jay. Well, just go with me, all right? Trust your pastor, I'm going somewhere. You see, it's not enough for Jesus just to liberate us from the evil one. Jesus has far greater plans in mind. He's on a mission to destroy the enemy's work and eventually the enemy himself. Now we know at the cross, Jesus made an open spectacle of every power and every principality openly mocking them with his defeat. We know that the devil's been defeated, that he's under our feet, but he still lives in the land. He's a conquered foe, but he's not yet an eradicated foe. What do I mean by that? He's still in the land. After World War II, when the troops invaded Normandy and they began to liberate the people in Western Europe, how many of you guys know 
that the Nazis were defeated, but they still lived in the land. How many of you guys know that an, a conquered foe can still live in the land and, it, and he can still lie to you and he can still deceive you and he can still try to whisper things into your ears? Can I tell you something? Jesus has been on a mission to destroy the works of the enemy and one day he will fully fully eradicate him from the land. He's got a destiny for the devil and his angels, and it's in what the Bible calls the lake of fire, which was specifically prepared for him. It's amazing, and we'll teach on it sometime. But the idea is this. Jesus has been on a mission to destroy the work of the devil in your life from the beginning of creation till now, and one day, eventually, the devil himself. Regarding the first part, 1 John 3, 8 says this. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning, from the very start of it all. And here is the reason the Son of God appeared. It wasn't to trick out your life. It wasn't to help you do whatever you want. No, it was this, to destroy the works of the devil. To destroy. The word destroy means to obliterate. To completely obliterate the works of the devil. I mean, there it is in plain Greek. I mean English. What are these works some of you might be wondering today? I wonder about them. Well, okay, Jesus came to destroy the works. What are the works? First John 3, verse 9, the very next verse gives us a clue. Here it is. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for if God's seed abides in him, he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. The works that Jesus came to destroy are the sin and the sinning itself. Listen to the way author and preacher John Piper says this, and I really like this. I'm going to read it to you. It says this, Surely we should put the word therefore at the beginning of verse 9. For the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. Therefore, no one born of God keeps on sinning, makes a practice of sinning. When people commit sin, it is a work of the devil. The work of the devil is to tempt people to sin. And when they sin, his work is accomplished. So what the Son of God came to destroy is not just the guilt of sin that we all wrestle with, but the actual act of sinning itself. The Son of God came to destroy sinning. The enemy on the rebel planet is sin. The deadly virus in the Appalachian Village is sin. The force to be conquered on the Western Front is sin. Jesus' coming is God's invasion of enemy territory to rescue a people from the devil and to destroy the sin in their lives. There it is. I love that. Jesus came to rescue people and destroy the sin in their lives. That's how much he loves us. He sees this threat to our souls, this enemy that would like to take up residence within us, and he launches a full-out assault on it. And this is why we see Jesus respond the way he does in the very next verse, verse 37 of John chapter 8. Now, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, and yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. Mind you, Jesus is speaking to the same people of whom he said many believed. He's turning up the heat here. I want you to feel the tension unfolding. Yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you, verse 38. I speak of what I've seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. And they answered him, Abraham is our father. This is how proud they are. 
and their heritage and their ethnic heritage. And Jesus says to them, if you were actually Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. That's a huge diss, by the way. Verse 40, but now you're seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. That's their diss back to Jesus, right? They, they thought that Jesus was born of sexual immorality, right? Because how could a virgin get pregnant? How could Mary, who was betrothed to a man, all of a sudden get miraculously pregnated? So there's their diss back. So this is going back and forth. And they say, we have one father, even God. And Jesus is about to drop the mic. Are you ready for it? Here it is. I love mic drops from Jesus. Verse 42. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I am here and I have come not on my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? In other words, why are you so thick skulled? Why don't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he doesn't stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Jesus is going ballistic on their candy behinds here. And he's calling them sons of Satan. Because in truth, that's what they are. They are of the devil. Can you feel the tension here in this moment? Jesus is in the temple. And he's laid it out for people to see. The problem is he's speaking truth and they can't see it. Because of their sin and their sinning, they are still slaves to the darkness. They are still in league with the devil. And here Jesus is in the middle of the temple courts and he's turning on the light and he's turning up the heat because he's come to set some people free. Because there's some people in that audience, there's some people in that crowd that are listening and they're, they're leaning in to hear what this Messiah might be up to. And he's come to set them free. But here's the problem, you guys. Not everybody wants to go free. Church, there are going to be people in your life and in my life who love the darkness. Who don't just play with the darkness. Who don't just entertain the darkness. But love the darkness. No matter how much you try to convince them of the light or persuade them. Or speak truth to them in love, which I hope you do. They are in love with what the Bible calls the fruitless deeds of darkness. As Jim said last week, their hearts and minds have been corrupted by darkness. John 3 verse 19 says it this way, and this is the judgment that the light has come into the world, meaning Jesus himself. But people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. You guys, there's some people who love evil because their works are evil. And what they need, like all of us, is for the chain breaker to come and to begin to liberate them from their captivity. But can I tell you this? They have to want to go free. Jesus can come and he can open the door to the prison, but you and I have to choose to walk out. And it breaks my heart as a pastor to see this. Even people that Jesus has set free who go back into captivity. Wasn't that what the Israelites wanted to do? Halfway into their journey out of their bondage, what did they want to do? They wanted to go right back. 
And it breaks my heart as a pastor. There have been people in this church even who were with us and praising the Lord and going all in, and now they're back in bondage because they love the darkness, because there's something in them that still craves that relationship with the dark. You guys, you were not destined for darkness. None of us were destined for darkness. We were not destined to consult spirits and mediums and encumber our life with horror and the practice of dark arts. We were not created in Christ Jesus anew to go back into captivity and to entertain ourselves with the very thing that Jesus went to the cross to liberate us from. Come on, somebody. And every year in Utah, I see it more and more clearly, the open celebration of the demonic Christians patronizing other Christians with, oh, it's harmless, it's not that big of a deal, oh, it's fun, it's festive, whatever. Well, let's let God's word have the final word. Here's what he says, Ephesians 5.11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, expose them. He, he says take no part, he's saying this to the church at Ephesus, and I checked in the Greek, the word no part, or the phrase no part in the Greek you guys know what it means? No part. Some of you were like really waiting on the edge of your seat for that. What's he going to say? No part. And why? Because Jesus is a killjoy? No. Galatians 5.1 makes it real clear. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom. It is because Jesus as chain breaker wants you to know freedom and to live in it and to not be moved from it. Listen to what he says. Stand firm. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Can I tell you something? We live in a cultural moment right now where people want to enslave you to your screen, to your notifications, to obligations, to comparison traps, to all sorts of things. And here in his word, God is saying, don't let yourself be burdened again by this yoke of slavery. Now, the context for this verse is regarding circumcision and law keeping and a lot of what was happening in the early church, but I think it can be rightly applied to other places of our lives because Jesus doesn't want us to be burdened down with a yoke of slavery, but he says, don't let yourself be, which means that we have to make a choice. Amen? We have to do what Paul says here, which is to stand firm, and that's why I underlined it for you today, to stand firm. Right now, many people are being pushed around by the tides of the culture of the moment that we're in, of what's going on in our world, politically, racially, culturally, economically, and they're just being pushed all around like the wind today. You guys experienced that coming up the hill? We had our flags out there and they just took off. <laughs> Mike was like, nope, we're not doing flags today. I'm like, got it. Just being pushed around by the wind. But as the people of God, as the church, as those who've been liberated, as the forgiven and freed, as those who are alive in Christ Jesus, what's our response? Firm, rooted, anchored, cemented. Am I using enough words for you today? <laughs> he wants you to be firmly anchored with your feet firmly planted on what? Christ, the solid rock. Like the old song says, on Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Jesus says, the wise man builds his house on what? The rock, but the foolish on the sands. Can I tell you guys, there's a lot of sand in our culture right now, just being washed around, noise, distractions, stuff to just get you unfocused so that the enemy can come back in 
and put a yoke of slavery back on you that you don't even know you're under. And for many of us, that's the invitation that Christ is making this morning. It's to get free. For some of you, you've been subconsciously under a, a yoke of slavery. You didn't even know it. I mean, I don't even know it, but have you ever felt, perhaps like me, like you've just been weighed down by just the circumstances of life or people or things? You ever just feel heavy? Can I tell you, that's the enemy trying to come in and to put a yoke of slavery back on your life. But Jesus says this through his word, stand firm. To stand firm is not to be wavered. It's not to be moved. It's not to allow people to push you around. In Christ Jesus, the solid rock we stand. He's the cornerstone. He's the one that holds us all together. So in closing today, I want to ask you three questions. Have you tasted the freedom that only Jesus can give? Maybe you're watching this online. Maybe you're listening to this podcast. Have you tasted the freedom that only Jesus can give? Have you seen him destroy the works of the devil in your life? And number three, can you claim that you are standing firm in your response to freedom? Can I pray for you guys today? Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you for your gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. I thank you, Lord, that you've called us to step out of the crowds, to step out of being fans and to become followers, apprentices, students of Jesus. And Jesus, I thank you that you said in your word that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed, but not just free to wander and to live our own life, but Lord, free to belong to you and to experience the life that comes when we welcome you as both Savior and Lord. So Jesus, for anybody in this place today who's never tasted that freedom, who doesn't know freedom, can I pray for you today? Maybe you're listening to this or watching this. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you don't know this truth that I've been speaking about and maybe something during this message has been coming alive on the inside of you. Maybe it's an impression or a feeling or maybe it's just time to go all in. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. So can I pray for you? And it's a simple prayer. You can pray it out loud. You can pray it in your heart, but it goes like this. Jesus, Savior, save me. Save me from myself. Save me from the mess that I've made of things. I believe and confess that you are the Son of God, the Anointed One, the Christ. I believe that you went to that cross in my place to take on my sins so that you could liberate me from them and destroy every chain that once held me down. Jesus, thank you for being the rescuer and thank you for being the destroyer of sin in my life. I now look to you. Come and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Come give me a new life of freedom and hope in you and walk with me all the days of my life. I surrender it all to you today. In Jesus' mighty resurrected name and all God's people said amen. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at courageouschurch.com.